0: Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? I want to welcome all those also online today that are at our online campus. And I do also want to give an honorable shout out and mention to uh, Pastor Nick, right here from Ascend Outreach Center. If you would just stand up real quick, wave your hand. Uh, Last week, if you were here with us or joined us online, uh, we talked about, or or two weeks ago, we talked about the Ascend Outreach Center and what they're doing uh, in our community. It's an amazing work there with just helping people meet tangible needs. They're one of our community partners, and we're so blessed to have you guys here today and to be part of our worship experience. Also, too, uh, once a month, we do something called the Connect Gathering for anybody that's new to Thrive, whether it's your first time. Or you've been here for many years, but you've not gotten connected yet. Shame on you. We do that once a month, and we want to invite you out after our worship experience today. We have child care available. Whether you registered or not, it's right over here in our cafe. You'll see the big sign that says, Connect. Connect makes it super easy for you. Uh, Hopefully, you can hang out with us, and we won't keep you long so you can enjoy the beautiful spring day. Well, we're in a series called The Jesus Diaries, and what we really wanted to do was help walk with you in the Gospels leading up to Easter, chronologically looking at Jesus' life. And if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter uh, 14 today, Matthew 14. There was a story of a pastor one time who said he was driving by a graveyard— As he drove by the graveyard, he felt the Lord kind of impress upon him, not like an audible voice, but to say, what's in the graveyard? And the pastor responded, there's bones in the graveyard. And then the Lord, again, impressed upon his heart. He said, no, there's not bones in the graveyard. He said, there's unused and untapped potential in that graveyard. Meaning this, there are people who die with so much potential still left in them. And what I want to do today is I want to ask the question, why is it that so many of us end up dying with potential still in us? And the passage we're going to look at today is a very familiar one because this is the only miracle that occurs in all four Gospels. Like each Gospel writer remembered this miracle, and some scholars believe that maybe it happened multiple times But it was etched in their memory, and each one of them had to record this when they wrote the gospel or had, you know, someone uh, write it for them as they were dictating like John did as an old man. And this miracle that we see, we have different ways we could look at it. Today, I'm going to kind of spin it a little differently. Now, here's the backdrop, though, of this one in Matthew. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. We usually think of Jesus as like Superman, right? Like nothing affected him and he just went on in life and he never got hungry or tired or thirsty or sad or he never felt grief. But this portion of Matthew 14 is a time when Jesus is going through extreme grief in his life. And the reason is his cousin, one of his best friends and his ministry partner who sent his first disciples to Jesus, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded. And I want you to look at what it says in Matthew 14, starting with verse 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news of John the Baptist, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Jesus wanted some solitude. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Solitude is inviting God into your situation when you have alone time. Isolation is keeping everybody and God out. And Jesus wanted to invite his father into the situation, just get, a, get away and really process this loss that he had just had from his best friend, his cousin, his ministry partner. It says, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And I love this. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He wasn't frustrated with them. He wasn't upset with them. Uh, many times in our life when we go through something, we're like, look, man, I ain't got time for you. I'm going through my own thing right now. Have you ever felt like that before? Okay, m- maybe only me. The rest of you guys are so holy, you would never admit that, right? But, but for us, a lot of times we're going through something. We're wanting empathy and compassion, but we don't want to give it out at those times. And Jesus, in the, one of the toughest times uh, of his life, pauses and has compassion on those people. That evening, the disciples uh, came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. There is no Target. There's no Starbucks. There's nothing nearby. No Chick-fil-A's. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. I guess, it, you know, it actually was a Long John Silver's. It wasn't Chick-fil-A around there. They answered. <laughs> Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Now, I want you to look at what happened here. This is the crux of the message. I want to draw your attention to this verse here. It says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I I think that Jesus was, they had their own little leftovers. They could never forget that miracle. It says about 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Some scholars believe upwards of 20,000 people were fed from this. It had to be an amazing miracle to be a part of that. And today what I could do, I could draw the parallel and I could kind of put you in the place where you're like the disciples, right? And you're telling Jesus, I don't have enough. And that'd be a good message because Jesus is always more than enough, right? And I could preach to you about that and that would be solid. I could probably draw your attention to the other passages about the little boy who brought the, the bread and the fish. And I could compare you to the little boy and draw a parallel and talk to you about giving, you know, your little to Jesus and he'll make much and that would preach as well. But today what I want to do is actually go a little different route. I want to compare you to that bread. Because what happened to the bread is what has to happen to all of us. Jesus blessed it, and then he did something else to it. He he broke it. And then he distributed it. And so here's today's big idea. And if you have your notes handy, write this down, because this is so important when you're drawing parallels to yourself in this bread. It is good when God breaks you. Like, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> no, no, it's good when God breaks you. And I want to talk to you today about how God and why God breaks us. It's so incredibly important because I believe that is the reason that so many people die with potential left in them. They never understand that God needs to break us first. See, the first thing Jesus did to the bread was he blessed it. He blessed it. And it's good to, like, like, listen, there's nothing wrong with the blessing of the Lord in your life. I mean, it says in Colossians and Ephesians that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's awesome. Proverbs says that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. You don't need to apologize if God has blessed you. But you'll die with potential if you just stop there and you're just blessed bread. And many of us believe that we got to go from blessed to multiplied. God's going to bless me, and then God's just going to use me, and everything's going to be great. And you have these preachers on TV saying, you, nothing bad will ever happen to you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you're going to be the greatest thing since life. You're just awesome, and everything's awesome. You're like, yeah, I'm going to be super fun. But here's what happens. If you don't understand what Jesus has to do in your life, in that middle part, which is breaking, you'll never get to the point of being multiplied. He he blessed it. He broke it. He broke it into pieces, and then he multiplied it. Now, if you're like me, this is— kind of counterintuitive to our human nature. None of us likes to be broken by God. If you enjoy it, then you're, something's wrong. You're like, you know, you're, you're, what you're a masochist. You know, you just love pain and, oh, just, oh I just want to be broken. It's not, it's not easy. And so what happens, though, there's different reasons why we fight Jesus breaking us. One of the ways we do that is this, is we often in our life justify our flaws, When Jesus is trying to break us from those flaws that keep us in the same cycles over and over, you justify your offense. You're always angry. You're paranoid. Everybody's always out to get you. There's always always a conspiracy theories out there to get you. Everybody's all all against me. Our flaws. One of the things I talked about with our staff, it's, it's funny. So we just went through the Enneagram and did a deep dive into our Enneagram. And every staff member had to talk about something they noticed that was good and then something they realized they've got to correct. And here's what would happen with all of us as we were discussing. We're not, we, I didn't do it because I, I, I kind of had the knowledge. But here's what we do. They would say, I'm too blunt. Anytime you put the word T-O-O in front of something, you're actually justifying it. Oh, I, I, I'm just too caring. Like if your job asks you, what are your weaknesses? I'm just too much of a faithful worker, right? That's my weakness. And that's, that's something that, you know, you never do in an interview. But what happens is we actually justify those things. Well, I'm just sometimes I'm a little too sarcastic. Here's what you have to say I am a jerk. And it comes out and I cut people and it's unacceptable. And so if we, don't justi- if, if we justify that flaw, God can never break it and make us better in that. Well, I'm just too caring. No, you're codependent. You're codependent. And, and literally, you're, in, you're enabling the people around you to do what they do because you're codependent. You're not too caring. See, see, God, until you confront that, we justify our flaws. The second thing we do is we make excuses for our mistakes. And I really I wish I'd have put the word sin in here. Because I think one of the things in the church we've gotten away from is using the word sin, that that three-letter word. It's like an ugly. Oh no. Like, Like you could talk to a Christian and and they don't believe that we're depraved, right? We don't believe that of original sin. They don't believe any of that. They believe we're just born good people and we keep getting better and better. Um, I told one person recently, they disagreed with me. I said, okay, are we born good people? Well, of course we are. I said, do you teach your toddler disobedience classes or or do you send them to obedience classes? (laughs) Do you have to teach your toddler to be disobedient? What's the answer, church? No, we're just born that way. We have to teach them to share and to be all that. But here's the thing: as long as you excuse your sin, Jesus can't cleanse you and forgive you of your sin. And many of us just are excusing and excusing, and we're blaming and we're blaming, and the whole time, like I said last week, and we're at, at Richmond, and Keith said it here and online. You can make progress or excuses. You can't make both. And many times, when you need forgiveness, stop making excuses. Just go to the Lord and say, "Yeah, I blew it. I'm a sinner." And you know what? God already knew it, and he accepts you as you are, and he's not wagging his head in shame. He's not just, man, he's not saying, yeah, you better get better. We make excuses for mistakes. And the final thing that keeps us from living a broken life before the Lord is we hold on to an image of strength. We want to be strong in front of people. We've got to hold it together, right? See, that's, that's antithetical to the gospel, The gospel is, and I say this all the time, I hope one day you can just walk around and just preach this to others. When you are weak, then you're strong. Not when you have it all together and you've got everything, man, I'm just, I'm doing great. It's when you're at your worst, Jesus is at his best. It's when you're broken, you're weak, you've been honest, and you say, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I am not good enough. I don't have it all. And Jesus says, thank you. Now I can step in and be what you couldn't be for yourself. Now, see, here's the problem, though, because brokenness isn't easy. And my fear is we're going to leave here saying, that was a good message, Pastor, but we won't live this out. And and if we don't allow Jesus to break us, then we're going to run the risk of living a life where we never live to our full potential. We will die with potential still in us. We'll never be distributed as God wants us to be because we always fought brokenness. We always fought Jesus breaking us in our life. You know, when I got my master's degree, I went through probably the most transformative class I've ever been through. And Dr. Bobby Clinton from Fuller Theological Seminary had this class on on really the spiritual formation of a leader. It was as hard as my doctorate was and as in, as in depth, that one class. I'll never forget out of all of it, though, there was something that, that he showed us. that they, they actually studied thousands of Christian leaders, thousands of them. And lots of things kept coming back as they were studying all the great, great leaders throughout history. You could just go through and study all the great leaders that made timelines of their life and what they experienced in their life. Uh, one of the things they found out was this, and I've said this before, but, but only one out of three Christians actually finished life loving Jesus and finished well. But the other thing that really stuck out was this. Anybody who was worth their salt, anybody who got up and could, and could be able to impact people's lives as a leader— went through really negative, deep processing situations. They went through some super negative breaking experiences. And we had to go through that. Um, so I had to look at my life. I went through it. And those people who go through the breaking experiences in their life, they have a well of depth. I mean, I mean, just, just let's be honest. Have you ever heard somebody pray and it's like, man, will this guy please, Lord? I'm not sure if you even believe what you're praying <laughs> Right? Let's just be, be honest. But then you find somebody else. It's not how loud they are. It's not the words they use, but they pray, and and you feel like you just touched heaven. You could have two people preach the same sermon, and one gets up, and you're looking at your clock, ready. And you this may be me today. I'm sorry if it's, if it is. And and you look, you're like, man, I just, I kind of just, okay, I'm I'm hungry. And then the other person gets up, and you're just like, man, you, you're literally—there's there, you, there, a depth there. The depth does not come from a book. It doesn't come just from studying. Now, you've got to do that, and you've got to learn, because leaders learn. It's what people do. I mean, Jesus was a rabbi. He learned. God just didn't download it from heaven into him. But here's the thing you've got to realize. You have to have these deep, breaking experiences before God can distribute you. Now, now for me, I've shared my story with, with you guys about, you know, kind of my, my ministry journey and what I've been through in life. And, and think about, and I was going through this message thinking about this, you know, my first attempt at, planning, at, at doing youth ministry, I told you about that a few weeks ago where the, the deacons got mad and their own, I mean, their grandchildren were leading worship and they were mad because it was dark in there and they couldn't see Jesus is light and, and you should have light and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And and so, like, he's mad and he literally, they they run us off from the church. His grandson's doing crack. But here's what they did to us. This is crazy. I want you to think of this is church people, y'all. They made a plan that if they just would give to a building fund and not tithe, they didn't have to pay the staff. They starved out, my wife and I, who were college students, and we, we were on food stamps. That was a plan that these, these Christian people came up with. And it hurt deeply when you found that out, that they were willing to starve your family out just because they didn't like the method of what you were doing. They didn't care about salvations and baptisms and all that. They didn't like, they didn't like these people coming in that, that, that were black. Hey, that's how it was 13 years ago in the rural South. And it cost us because we wanted a multicultural, diverse ministry. And it hurt deeply. You know, I'll never forget when I planted my first church, I'm going somewhere with this I went through burnout and depression and extreme anger. It hurt so deeply because I planted this church. I had so much hope. We've been planning for years to start this church. And over and over again, people hurt me. They betrayed me. And it was just like I was watching the same movie over and over again, and I was completely broken to the point I didn't want to do ministry anymore. I had nothing left in the tank for people. I just didn't trust anybody. And then we started Thrive Chesterfield, Moved here. That literally nine years ago uh, to this week, I preached for the first time to 20 people, and I actually led worship too. So as they kept me, and we all met in a fellowship hall, and I talked to these. Mostly, were senior citizens, and I said, "Hey, we got this. I got this let's, let's restart a brand new church here." And I thought they would never go for it. I was like, "I just when I tell them, baby, I said they'll they'll say no. When we go back to Florida to the beach and forget about it." And they were all like, "Yeah." But, but when we moved here, my mom had, had been battling cancer, and it had become extremely terminal. She was 62 years old. I would preach on a Sunday, drive to North Carolina three hours, and sit with her in hospice while I was working on church work. I would drive back for Wednesday. We got in a circle here and prayed for all this to happen. like eight of us. And I'd drive back to North Carolina three hours, and I was just burning the road up both, both ways. And I had to watch my mom die of cancer while I was trying to launch a church. And it hurt. A year later, my grandmother passed, and then when we launched Thrive Richmond, I never forget it. My dad goes in for a routine liver surgery, and the doctor says he's just not going to make it, and the doctor cries. He said, this should have never happened. We don't know what went wrong. And 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 I'm going through that, and I'm launching Thrive Richmond. Like, to launch something takes a lot of work, right, Pastor Nick? Like, it's it's, it's, it's a little different than going somewhere and it's already established. And and as I'm sitting there in hospice, I don't get a lot of people who are saying, hey, I'm praying, for, or, or, and my dad was in ICU, praying for you. But I get people telling me, hey, we're leaving because I can't have lunch with you this week because I'm mad about something. I'm sorry. I'm in North Carolina. My dad's dying. My dad's dying. Well, we're going to ABC Church. And, and I'm going to tell you, it hurt deeply. It hurt deeply. And in 2015, we had our son. I've told you this. I ended up going through intense counseling I begin to shift everything in my life to be healthy, to have boundaries. And I say all this for a reason. All those are breaking experiences. And this is not a pity party. I want you to understand what God did. Because it's good when God breaks you, right? Right? So that's what I'm trying to say. It's good when God breaks you. The Lord told me, like, in the shower, I'm just, you know, just praying. He said, man, I'm going to increase your influence. About a year ago, I said, okay, Lord, I don't know what that means. But, okay, we'll see if this it will happen. And I was asked to be on a national team, watch this, for clergy care, for emotional health, for over 1,500 churches in America and about 20,000 pastors to help set a system up for them. Why? No, 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 don't, don't, don't clap. No, no, no. You're not there. But, but I want you to watch something. Why? Because I was broken in that area. If I was never broken, I would have never been multiplied or distributed. And then I get another call and they say, hey, we're putting this, this church planning task force. We need, to, we need to help a denomination come up with a plan for church planning because they're dying and will you come because you planted a church and you did it from scratch and, and, and all that. And I was broken at that church plant. I'd never faced depression before. And it wasn't just pray more, I was depressed. But if I would not have went through that experience, guess what? I could not be distributed. And then, with Thrive and what we've done here and what God's done in a most beautiful way at both our campuses and, and everything that's happening, I was then said, Hey, would you come and help out and coach churches and help out our 70 churches in Virginia that we have going on? And would you help train pastors? Would you help them find out how to navigate and grow their churches? Here's what you got to realize. Everything I was asked to do was because I was extremely broken in all those areas. And you got to realize something. When God breaks you, He has a plan to use you in that area. Because then people can sense that you know. I know what. They know exactly that you're going through what they've been through. It didn't come from a book. It came from experience of Jesus' hands breaking you. So what do we do? Here's what I want you guys to, to leave with when it comes to your action step. Let God continually break you. If you're like, yeah, back in 1974, I was broken. Woo, that was good. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I know what you're saying, pastor. I mean, being broken by God's like like changing the oil in your car. Like you can't just do it once. Like, yeah, man, I'm oil changed three years ago. I'm, I'll do that again. Because what God does, you have all this stuff inside of you that's just nasty and gross and this anger and bitterness and sin and unforgiveness and junk. And what God does when he breaks you in a beautiful way is he pops the oil plug and the old oil runs out. He takes your old filter out. He drops that down and he just cleanses you of all that junk. Then he puts the new filter on. He closes up that place in your heart with a hole and then puts new oil in so you can go longer and longer and longer. You've got to let God break you continually. One of my favorite passages is in Mark 14. and In Mark 14, 3, it says this. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, watch this, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. See, she had this really expensive, beautiful thing that she could have kept. One of the disciples even said you could have sold it for money, and she broke it, and she anointed Jesus with it. That's what our life is. It's like that box. It's like that jar. Some of us have never allowed the Lord to break us. We keep fighting. When the Lord breaks you, it said the whole house smelled like that fragrance. And what's more important, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is right before Jesus was betrayed and crucified. And as Jesus was being beat and flogged, as Jesus was hanging on a cross, he had perfume on him. He could still smell that. A year's worth of wages for this one expensive bottle of perfume. And you know what? It probably reminded Jesus of. This woman, was. she took what was something that was special and broken. It reminded him that he was loved. It reminded him that his brokenness would impact generations to come. And friends, I want to encourage you. Allow the Lord to break you in your life. Here's what a broken life looks like. If you're going to live a broken life, here's three quick thoughts. Number one is this. It helps others experience the reality of God. It helps others experience the reality of God. What does that mean? That when somebody's broken and they've been broken, you experience Jesus through them. You've met people like that before, right? Right? Like, you can just sense what, what some people call the anointing on them or whatever it is. It's not for being loud or obnoxious or talking a whole lot. They have been deeply broken by the Lord. And you experience a reality of God in their life. That's why I came, one of the reasons I came to faith, my friend Eric, I just, when I got around him, his, his eyes sparkled. And he glowed. And he just was all about Jesus. And he had been broken by the Lord at a camp and given his life to Jesus. See, that's what you'll do. When you're broken, people will begin to experience the reality of God. You'll be able to show it, not just shout it. Secondly, when you live a life of brokenness before the Lord, it causes us to not live that fig leaf life. What do you mean, fig leaf life? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, and, and they, were, you know, they realized that they were naked, and they're like, oh, man, we gotta, we got to do something. And the first, you know, uh, fashion designer ever was Eve, and she, she got some fig leaves together, and she made some, some underwear with fig leaves, and, and they put fig leaves on, and God shows up. He's like, what are y'all doing? I mean, y'all, y'all know fig leaves ain't covering up much, right? Fig leaves aren't, bad. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, God? And they were trying to cover up the very thing that God was there to help them with. Many of us are covering things up in our life, and God wants to break you of that so you can experience true joy and true contentment. They had that little fig leaf, and God said, take that junk off. And God God killed an animal. He said the blood was shed. He made coverings for them. That's the first time. And that was the the proto-evangelium. That was the view of the gospel straight out of Genesis blood was shed to make a covering that they couldn't do for themselves. See, when you're broken, you stop living that fig leaf life and you allow the Lord to cover you with his blood. And finally, it multiplies our little into a huge impact. When you're broken before God, I don't care what you think you can't do. I don't care what your self-esteem is. When you're broken by the Lord, He's able to distribute you and take the little bit that you are and do so much with it when you allow yourself to. When you leave here this week, some of you need, and this may be weird, you need to put some worship music on at your house. And you need to get before God and you need to repent and confess and get tired of being sick and tired and just sit before the Lord and let him do a work in your heart. What you need in your life right now in your marriage and for your kids, what your spouse needs is for you to be broken because it's good when God breaks you because you come out a whole different person in your life of something that you never even thought you could do. When God breaks you. So here's the question I want to close with this morning Will you allow God to break you, or will you die with potential still left in you when it's all said and done? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that when you break us, it's not to hurt us, it's not to scold us, it's not because you're mad at us, Lord. Your breaking is because you love us deeply. So Jesus, our master, we just put ourselves in your hands today. And we thank you for blessing us so greatly. But we're not stopping there, Jesus. We're going to give you permission to break us and permission to distribute us, Lord, in our life. Today we give you that permission. I pray, Father, I don't know what each individual is going through. But, Lord, I pray from this point forward, they, they will allow their breaking to be like that, that perfume to be an act of worship before you. And God, I pray that there'll be people in here that are distributed everywhere they go this week, everywhere they go throughout their life, their jobs, their families, their homes, everywhere. They'll carry your fragrance, God, because they've been broken. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to be broken before you. Father, I pray this week that we would take steps with that in our life. And as we pray today, church, we're in a mode of prayer Maybe you're someone who walked away from your faith. Maybe you're watching online today and you're, you just tuned in, not really knowing why you're here this morning, but you know that today is the day to come back to faith in Christ, or for the first time ever, you're finally going to surrender. You're putting your life in Jesus' hands. I don't know who you are today, but I believe God's speaking to your heart. And right where you're at, if you want to make the greatest decision ever, if you want to come to faith in christ and follow jesus don't you to pray this prayer with me and after me and make this confession of faith you just say god i admit that i'm a sinner i admit i cannot save myself but i believe that jesus christ is lord i believe that he died on the cross And he physically rose again on the third day. I believe he is the only way to heaven. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I surrender my life. I repent. And I turn to you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.